I'm Paul Irwin and welcome to the Pros.com podcast, where we discuss everything translation and interpreting related, including how to get new clients, areas of specialization, technical skills, software localization, machine translation, diversification, and more. Pros.com, helping freelance translators and interpreters succeed. Hey there, Paul here. This is episode 73 of the Pros.com Translation and Interpreting Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about interpreting with Jesse Liu. Before we get into that, I have a question for you. Have you checked out our special end of year membership and training offers? If not, I really do encourage you to head on over to pros.com and set yourself up for success in 2023 and beyond. That's training and membership offers at pros.com. Today, I'm talking with Jesse Liu. Jesse is a freelance court certified Mandarin interpreter in the state of California. A year into interpreting in the courtroom, Jesse went back to school to train as a conference interpreter. Upon graduating with a master's degree in conference interpreting from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey in 2021, Jesse has since been actively serving clients in both legal and conference settings. Jesse also teaches the English and Chinese court interpreting program at UCLA Extension. When Jesse isn't doing her interpreting or teaching work, she's actively advocating for the TNI profession by volunteering her time at the American Translators Association. She is currently serving on the ATA Strategy Committee and the ATA's Membership Committee. She is also in the Leadership Council of the Chinese Language Division of the ATA. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, great to have you here, Jesse, and really talk, looking forward to talking about conference interpreting, among other things. But first of all, as I usually ask, please tell me how you got started in this fantastic industry. Um, yes, indeed. It's a long story. I will try to make it short uh, and not any less interesting. And so I actually stumbled uh, into uh, interpreting and translation, um, not by something I wanted to do or set out to do, but it just by something that just happened. Yep. And I, uh, after graduated from um, from university, I worked with this Chinese uh, investor. He came to the U.S. from China with a bunch of money. He wanted to uh, make business here, but yeah. he does not speak any um, English. So I worked with him. So I'm sorry, what, sorry, Jesse. So what was your what was your subject at university? Um, at uh, psychology, I majored in psychology and minored in accounting. Okay, very good. Okay, <laughs> so it wasn't so it wasn't clear at that point that you were going to go into interpreting at all. Not at all. No, I never yeah. really thought I was going to. Um, yeah, but I, if anything, I thought I was going to be an accountant working for one of yeah. the big fours. Yeah, I actually had my CPA license. <laughs> a lucky, a lucky escape. Uh, yes, oh, you've indeed. got your CPA license, have you? Yes. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. It used to be used to be the big six back in my day. So that shows how old I am. But anyway, that's <laughs> <laughs> no, the big four. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Brilliant. All right. Lucky escape from accounting then. So you were saying, um, you were saying that an investor came over and 
Right. And then, so I worked with him for about four years um, in the capacity of his executive assistant and also doing a lot of translation and interpretation for him because he needed to get on a lot of these uh, video calls or um, business meetings. So that's how I really got into it. But I really didn't think too much of it back then. I just didn't know it was a thing or proper profession until four years later, he uh, became really successful here and he decided to take his business back to China. Um, So he left. And then that moment I was thinking, well, he is gone. What am I going to do now? Then I reflected and realized that in the past four years, interpreting and translation um, was something that I had been doing, had some knowledge of. And I started exploring into career options in that uh, field. And then um, there I am. Excellent, excellent. So as part of that explore, exploration, what, what, what were your first steps then at this point? Um, I, um, I discovered that in California, the state where I am in, we have something called court interpreting. So that was the first thing I did. I uh, got the certification uh, at the end of 2017, and I started working as a freelance uh, court interpreter since the beginning of 2018. Um, a couple of years of doing that, um, I realized that there uh, is a lot more to interpreting and translation than court interpreting. So I decided to explore a little bit more and I put myself in school and got a degree in conference interpreting. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, well, let's let's start with that court interpreting. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about what it's really like? I mean, I, I have this, you know, this sort of image Um, I imagine some cases are really interesting and high profile. I imagine some cases are extremely routine and boring, but I I can't really quite imagine what it's Mm -hmm. like. Could you please take us through that, Jesse? Of course. Yes, you are right. Um, You do get to see a lot of different case types and different cases. Some are high profiles and some are just very routine, uh, small timers, as we call them. Um, But I I do. um, When I first got into it, I was under this misconception that I had to know a lot of things about the laws, about the legal Mm. um, knowledge. But that's not actually the case um, because I realized that once you are working as a court interpreter, you are telling people's story. It's not so much about how the lawyer uh, argues a case. It's about how you tell a story of everyday people. Uh, People, everyday people who go to court, they don't go there to argue about a case law or what case um, sets a precedent of what's going to be coming, that kind of uh, thing. But really, you're telling um, a story from their perspective. So it's really very everyday-ish. And so that yeah, was yeah. something very surprising to me. Okay. And, and and does that typically involve long days or short sessions? How would that be broken up? Um, it depends. Um, I think every, every time you get onto a case, it's different. And also there are different dynamics between how the defendant or uh, the litigants or the lawyers and then the judge and the jury, how everybody come together. So there is a flow. So if the flow goes well, your day tends to be shorter, not any less intense, but it's just shorter. You still do the same amount of work, but when you have a good flow, you tend to get on with it much smoother. 
Um, but if you have someone who's not really used to working with an interpreter or a party who is very, um, I would say very talkative, they like to say a lot more things than what they really need to, then your day becomes a lot longer, uh, less dense, I would say, but then it, it just drags out much longer. So you do get those easier, happier days, and you also do get those uh, long, tedious days. Oh, very good. Interesting <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. in terms of, in terms of the sort of how you feel when you're interpreting, were, were you able to or are you still able to detach yourself to some degree from the subject matter or, or does it draw you in to some degree? Um, that is a very interesting question. I'm still myself trying to find a balance because I feel that, as I said earlier, you are telling someone's story. You want to tell it as how it is told by the person him or herself. Mm. So I think the best way and the most effective way to convey that message is for me to assume their role, like for me to live in their shoes. So I'm able to convey not just the words, uh, but also the meaning, the emotion, and the whole nine yards behind it. Um, however, that then makes me very susceptible to something that, um, you know, we call as vicarious trauma. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, happy people or happy things don't end up in court. People go to court um, because some things that are not happy is yeah. happening and then yeah. they want to seek um, like sort of a solution to that. And then when you open yourself up to that type of negative emotion, uh, it could uh, potentially affect you. Um and then that is uh, that's a bit of um, like a can of worm that I don't really know once opened how to close or how to deal with that properly. So that's um, sort of like an ongoing uh, balance thing that I always have to keep um, keep aware of um, that and, I cannot do yeah. it too much. And then if not enough, I won't be able to do a good job. OK. And do you have any specific mechanisms for that or any techniques or, or, or mm. not? Um, I, I think it just, I try to understand the background information of the case as much as I can before I get on to this case. If it's something that is not, I would say for my, it does not really conflict doesn't really have a conflict with my personal value, um, I think I would um, be okay with taking the case um, and then be on it and be completely open to assuming the role and mm, do a good mm. job conveying the message. But if it's something too traumatic, quote-unquote yep. traumatic, um, yep. for example, if it concerns like um, child abuse, um, mm -hmm. and as a mother, I don't think I'm able to handle that type of emotion and still stay composed throughout the course and be in the very objective and neutral position, then I would just say, no, I'm afraid I won't be able to um, do this job. Okay, so, but, so picking yeah, that, the right assignments, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that I, um, I do in terms of coping with that type of um, okay. potential trauma. Okay, thanks for sharing that, Jesse. Thank mm -hmm. you. Right. And um, just, okay, in, term, and in terms of the... Uh, monetary or financial situation of court interpreting mm -hmm. is it is it well paid is it a well-paid uh, job 
Um, I think anyone can really make a comfortable living doing court interpreting. However, it depends on whether you are working for the court rooms, the court system, or if you are working for the private clients. And, and then it's quite similar to the general uh, interpreting uh, profession that if you do have your own clients, for example, uh, the law firms uh, or people who hired you directly for this case, then yes, you are able to uh, get paid a lot more versus you are simply working for the courtrooms where you are hired by the court system. Uh, well, at least that is the case for California, because yep. uh, my understanding is that for the court system in California, we all have to follow the budget that is set by the state or by the uh, by the judicial council. Um, so the pay follows that guideline uh, for the courtroom interpreters. Um, but and then if you are outside of that system, if you're working for a privately, uh, like your private client, then you don't have to um, follow that guideline. And yeah, then that's yeah. just between you and the party who's um, hired you. Okay, very good. So you were in this sector for a couple of years, you were doing pretty well by the by the sound of it. And then you decided there was uh, you, there was something else that you wanted to explore. Yes, so that's right. How did yeah. that come about? And take us through that, please. Yes. Um, so it was in the, actually, it was at the ATA conference in New Orleans back in 2018. Um, I was about 10 months into my court interpreting freelance job. I was happy and um, I loved uh, completely the court interpreting uh, part of my job. And then I was introduced to uh, the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at yep. Monterey. Yeah. Um, Frankly, I did not know anything about the school back then. I mm -hmm, didn't even mm -hmm. know it was uh, a well-established institute for training interpreters and translators. But I kept hearing this hype about you know, how good the school is. And then if you're good enough and you can barely make it into it and then making it out of the program, like graduating from the program is another story. And I was just thinking to myself, is it really that big of a deal? <laughs> Let me find out what that is all yeah, about. Yeah. So I did. I got curious and I um, I gave it a shot and I said, let me let me try this. So I uh, took the exam. I got in yep. and um, I was very happy. But then at the same time, I was very much torn. It's like, OK, so now this is a two year commitment. What am I going to do now? I have to go back to school. Then I, that means I won't be able to do my job. So that was on one side of my uh, consideration. On the other side, on the other side, as I was doing the court interpreting job day in and day out, uh, I was thinking, if I keep doing this for the next 10 or 20 years, where would I end up in my career? Um, so the answer was, I would still be doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, with a lot more expertise and I would be a lot better, but then I don't think career-wise there was much room for me to grow. So okay. that yep. was yep. one um, area that I was considering that really pushed me into conference interpreting. And um, so I realized that there's a lot more energy left in me still. So while I still have that, I want to explore, I want to learn. And then um, at least I can, um, if I'm not made for it, at least I can say I've tried. Yep. And yeah. Okay. So what were some of the things that you, that you learned on, on, on that course that you perhaps you know, weren't aware of be before? 
yeah, I'm, I realize that court interpreting and conference interpreting are quite different because mm-hmm. they have different sets of uh, code of ethics. Um, but I think um, I like to give this example that court interpreting and conference interpreting are both like driving a car, uh, right? But then one is manual, the other one is automatic. So the mechanisms are different, uh, although they are all falling within the umbrella of interpreting. So um, throughout my two years uh, uh, getting trained as a conference interpreter, I took notice of what were different and what were the same. So that was quite interesting for me. Oh, very good. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So yeah. you graduated from, from Middlebury. And, yes. Um, and then what were you thinking at that point and what was your next, your next step? Um, you know, uh, the, the interesting is the interesting thing is that I am still exploring. I'm still trying to find um, a good spot for me in this profession, because on the one hand, I am very lucky that since I have uh, this court interpreting for me. Um, I'm not in a very desperate position after my graduation to be either a full-time or an in-house interpreter um, or um, getting really desperate for not having enough um, conference interpreting jobs. Because the year that I graduated, which was last year, 2021, um, it it was not the best time for uh, conference interpreters, freelance conference interpreters, especially for my language pair. In addition to the pandemic, uh, we know that the U.S. and China relations are, you know, sort of just, it's on thin ice. So we don't now have a lot of the clients that we used to have as com- uh, conference interpreters. So um, having this court interpreting uh, freelance jobs are, it, it's, it's a great relief to me. So I'm able to objectively evaluate where I really want to be and what I am capable of doing without that financial pressure. So I feel very lucky about that. And then at the same time, I'm thinking I've put myself through school for two years and I want to have a switch for where I want to focus on in my career. Now, how do I go about that? So I'm sort of just still exploring that path as I try to position myself as a conference interpreter while I wait for that part of my clientele to mature, um, I'm able to support myself um, using a lot of this uh, income from the court interpreting side. Okay, so you have that nice, that nice balance, basically. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And would you say, I mean, is it, is it fair to say that the conference interpreting is more, is more of a high pressure task? Um, I would say so, at least personally, that's how I feel. I have been on a few conference interpreting assignments. Uh, I always, always have to prepare and ask for the materials and then prepare uh, for some bigger conference. The preparation starts even a month or six, seven weeks before. Uh, But for court interpreting, I'm not saying that I never have to do that. It's just a lot of times you don't have the luxury of doing it because you aren't always privileged to the information available sure. yeah 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 right so when so, you so when you're when right. you're working as a simultaneous interpreter what what happens if you 
lose the thread <laughs> of the conversation. I mean, it, it must it must happen, right? I mean, it's it's just I just imagine it, and you know, I mean, I have I have worked in the field of of simultaneous interpreting, but not myself as an interpreter. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it, it, it always amazes me that 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 task of you know keeping up to speed with everything mm-hmm. that's going on, and if, and if you and if you leave it, the problem is. Um, there's kind of no going back. So, right. you know, it's not, it's not like a podcast. It, 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 you can, we can hit pause. Um, I can edit things out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's not the same as that. So, so how do right. you, how do you deal with that as a, as an interpreter, the fact that it is truly live and, and constantly moving? Mm-hmm. Well, ideally, of course, that's why we get so uh, much in training for ideally that we don't miss out anything. Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, that's one thing. That's just how uh, well you're trained and how much you practice. But it, things rarely happen in the ideal world. And we often have to deal with all these uh, deficiencies, whether it's our trainings, our skills, or just, you know, what the circumstances may or may not even allow. So I think there's also the other part where it comes to coping strategies. So for me, I have learned that, or at least I like to think that when something is really important, people don't just say it once. So they, you, you, you hope you count on them repeating the important message. So if it's indeed something important that you missed, then when they repeat it the second or the third time around, you're able to catch it and your audience is still able to get the complete picture of what your interpretation is and then what the speaker is trying to say. But if it's not repeated, um, you know, as a comfort to myself, I like to think that, okay, maybe it's not that important. Maybe uh, the audience didn't miss much. Well, yes, I would do my best, but sometimes I miss it, then I miss it. Like you said, we cannot go back. It's not a podcast, right? So um, you just hope for the best and then you always prepare uh, for performing at your best. But if it happens, uh, then just let it go and don't dwell on it. And then the other thing is that uh, it's very important just to always give the full meaning. Uh, Don't always, uh, you know, just thinking that something else is coming and then you leave whatever you are saying there and now, there and then half said, and then you went to pick up the second uh, segment. That's not right. Or I mean, at least that's very uh, counterproductive. Yeah, very good. Very good. Oh, thank you for that. That's that's interesting. And um, so you mentioned, you mentioned court interpreting, you mentioned conference interpreting. Um, what's your take on remote interpreting? Is it something that you have explored, would explore, are not interested in? Um, and I suppose specifically remote simultaneous interpreting. What's um, yeah, um, I have um, I have been on a few assignments where the job is done simultaneously and remotely. Um, For me, I consider myself quite lucky because when I um, started my school program at the um, Middlebury, that was in the middle of the pandemic. So the whole school, the whole pedagogy was centered around remote interpreting because the school saw that coming. So I, and and along with my um, other classmates, 
uh, were specifically trained for remote simultaneous interpreting. So even before I started doing these jobs, I uh, was already quite familiar with these major platforms that support RSI. Uh, so for me, that has not been a rough transition. Um, and I do, there are things that I really like, um, such as, you know, the logistic uh, ease, you don't have to travel. And in a way, it makes you more productive because you don't spend time on the road. And then you can simply just hop onto different meetings. And the time in between your assignments um, is drastically reduced simply because you don't have to get to place um, to from one place to another. Uh, so that's the good part. And then the, the, the big tough part is uh, people are trying to figure out sound quality and how you are listening to the speaker because that has a direct bearing on how well you perform on the job. So I think those are just uh, some of the goods and bad. Um, that, but then the things is that we are seeing this trend of remote interpreting platforms getting optimized and they're getting more features integrated. Uh, they're all aimed to make our job easier and to make uh, the clients more cost effective uh, when they need to hire interpreters. So I think those are all uh, good things. However, I noticed that Zoom recently um has come up with this feature where it might be in the bit of a murky area uh, between language access versus um, copyrighted work uh, from interpreters. So I think that is an ongoing um, new thing, but it's ongoing. So that's another part of um, controversial. So you're, refer thing. You're, you're referring to the fact that the, the interpretation that that recording, if it is recorded, is the copyright of the interpreter, essentially. And any right. kind of distribution needs to be agreed with the interpreter beforehand. And That's so, exactly right, yeah, yes. Yeah, and, yeah. and that unfortunately in many cases um, doesn't happen because the client um, assumes that because they've hired you as an interpreter, they kind of have the right to use any of your mm -hmm. material, basically. Right, but I think um, everything is pretty much at least innocent uh, uh, intentioned. Um, the way, what I mean is that people don't know that the interpretation of the speaker is the copyrighted work of the interpreter. So had they been more aware of it, I'm sure they uh, would have uh, had more or sort of respect to it, or they would be yeah. more open to uh, discussing that matter with the interpreters themselves. So I think this is where uh, creating awareness and letting people know, educating our clients becomes so important. And a lot of interpreters may not even know, especially the ones who are just recently starting, because they don't know uh, well, this is my copyrighted work that I need to either ask for the clients not to distribute it or distribute it with my consent at certain level of compensation. So that's also another important thing that we need to bring to people's attention so they know and they're aware and things can be properly done. Very good. Very good. Jesse, and what do you, what do you like most about the work that you do? Um, that I'm always on my toes 
like you never know what is coming for you uh, the next, yeah, right? Whether yeah. it's a conference interpreting, whether it's court, you just don't know what the subject matter is going to be. And uh, you're just going to have to learn everything about it. And believe it or not, when you learn it, because you have to do yeah. your job, uh, because your job depends on it, your learning is a lot more efficient and effective because it's no longer like, oh, I have to do it because now I have to take a test. It's not that anymore. It's just, it's it's curious and it's curiosity and that information comes right in to satisfy that curiosity. And I think it's a very rewarding thing. And you never know when the knowledge that you acquire because of one assignment would become handy in the next assignment. And I think that's how eventually we become uh, specialized in certain areas. Yes, of interpreting yes, yes. Mm-hmm. excellent excellent and how do you see things evolving for you over the next few years jesse do you see any any changes on the horizon or or just developing your business in in those different business lines how do you see things working out um, I want to keep my interpreting freelance interpreting business going both in court and conference, but I also want to divert a lot of my energies into advocacies and also to client education. I believe our profession currently is underappreciated and it's understated if I you know if I may say that it's just that still very often I get into conversations with people who aren't interpreters and translators um, they still have this misunderstanding of our profession which is if you are bilingual you can do this job well, that's so far from the truth. So I really want to correct that. And I also feel that um, a lot of people just don't understand the intensity or the, 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 the training that we go through to be good at what we um to be good at what we do. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to be very vocal about that. And then I am currently actively involved with the work that the American Translators Association does. And I plan to invest more time and energy in doing that. And um, and I also um, teach classes um, in court interpretings and in, in actually in coaching and just how to... Uh, cope with all the stress that you face or challenges that you may have as you are starting out Uh, because not everybody is as lucky as I am in terms of, you know, having the financial um, sort of freedom a little bit to, Mm -hmm. uh, to build one side of your business and not be so stressed out about it. Um, So I think that has given me uh, some, um, I would say, a leg up in you know giving yep. provide in yep. providing objective advice to people who aren't as you know I would say <laughs> quote unquote lucky as I am and yep. um, to yep. so I, I that those are the two things that I want to focus a bit more energy and um, effort on. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you, thank you, Jesse. Thank you for coming on today and sharing um, such a huge amount of information in a very short space of time. I think we've um, you've really yeah, included lots of uh, lots of really good points there. So thank you so much for that. I'll just leave you with the last word. Please um, let people know how they can get in touch. And um, yeah, once again, a big thank you, Jesse.
Oh, sure, of course. So I do have a website, which um, it's jessieluinterpreting.com. And I am also on LinkedIn. And um, I have my um, email address and my phone number on LinkedIn. So if you uh, just go to LinkedIn and search for me, uh, you are able to see all of that. And to that, I actually want to say a little bit <laughs> about having an online presence. And I think um, a lot of us who are just starting out, we may feel a bit lost especially when we don't have as many clients as we um, have hoped for. So I think that would be a perfect opportunity for you to involve, to get involved in projects. Like by, by, by that, I mean, just have your, for example, build your website. So that's the perfect time. You aren't really pressured by any other things in life and you just have a lot of time on your hand. Build a website and that only complements um, the business later on for clients to find us or for clients to understand who we are and that is in a very sort of equal footing uh, compare, uh, versus you have to send your resume to people because then I think the position is a bit different the dynamics is different by having a website so yay that was my uh, <laughs> that was my uh, advice yes no that's great that's great no thanks thanks again Jesse that's been uh, yeah it's been really really great um, so yeah, thanks for coming on. Wish you all the best with your your business and thank you so yeah, much for having best. me on the show, thanks. Paul. It's been it's been great. I enjoyed this show and enjoy talking to you. Wonderful. Okay, okay. take care. Right, bye -bye. All the best. Thanks, Jesse.